HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by greatbrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. You're listening to heritageradionetwork.org, a nonprofit member-supported radio station. We're millions strong, with folks tuning in from over 200 countries. We are education. We are entertainment. We are the future of food. May is our membership drive. Become a member and support us while receiving e-newsletters, advanced invites, special discounts, and a membership card. We need your support. Visit our website and click the donate button to become a member today. Thank you for believing in us and enjoy the show. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal, joined tonight by my wingman, Ed Baristecki, also a Good Beer Seal bar owner from Mugs Ale House. How are you? Good evening, Jimmy. You know what today is? It's, it's May 14th, 2013. Is it? And you, we've been doing the show for over three years now. And uh, how many times have you been on the show, Ed? Uh, like five, ten, probably five. Yeah, and you're one of my one of my favorite guests, man. Well, that's good. Yeah, so have, I appreciate um, that. Especially when, I get, especially when I get a call at twelve o'clock. Yeah, you. we needed a wingman today. <laughs> but we, I, I give a shout out to our sponsor, GreatBrewers.com. Check them out. You can learn all about beer and take the Great Brewers 100 test, which I think I'm going to make my whole staff do at Jimmy's Number 43. We've got some special guests today. We're kind of moving up the Hudson Valley. There's so many great new breweries. Uh, in New York State at our recent New York City Brewers Choice, over 20 of the 25 breweries were from New York State. Things have changed a lot in the last few years. Um, we've got Peekskill is, is really one of the top breweries in New York State. They're up in uh, Hudson Valley. And we have the guys from Newburgh today. We've got Chris and Paul. Chris Basso is the brewer. And Paul Halico is the president. And a special guest, Kevin Gary from the fancy uh, restaurant group. That he won't even Epic name to us. And what are the restaurants you guys have? Uh, uh, we have uh, four restaurants. We have Lartuzzi, Delanima, Anfora, and La Picho, three of which are in the West Village and one in the East Village. Uh, La Picho is our newest place. So we'll you guys, you guys three. come off as like a as a consulting company, but you really have like four. That's of my what you favorite, say. Four of my favorite restaurants. <laughs> And I was going to yell at you, but now I'm like, I'm going to have to ask you about... Uh, Three Italian joints and a, and, a, and a wine bar. You have to so. applaud him for that. Come on. No, it's pretty cool. But um, there's a good story here tonight. So Chris and, uh, and Kevin, you guys met years ago 
Um, tell us how you guys met. You guys were yeah. in a homebrewing class. Uh, we actually met a long time ago. Uh, we uh, we were just saying before the show, Chris, it was like 2005? I think it was around 2005, yeah. Um, my first week or two at Brooklyn Brewery. Uh, Garrett Oliver, uh, world-renowned brewer, and my brand-new boss <laughs> decided we're going to do a homebrew class at uh, Gramercy Tavern. And I, being new to uh, brewing, he knew I had all homebrew stuff at home because I hadn't put it away yet since uh, that happens after you've been a professional brewer for a while. You never touch this stuff again. But um, <laughs> Well, I think Garrett was a little bit nervous because we were basically just trying to do like a, a class for the staff. I was a manager at Grammar's Tavern. I put together the <laughs> beer list, and we were just trying to do a little beer education, and we thought it would be cool to do like a homebrew thing, like a five-gallon batch in the back of the kitchen. And I and I don't think Garrett had done a homebrew in so long that I think he needed Chris because he was more <laughs> more used to doing homebrew. Exactly. So he was like, "Yeah, Chris, write a recipe because I don't know your system and the size and everything." I was like, "You sure about this?" You know, two weeks in. Uh, but and you went to culinary fun. school, right? Yes, I did go to culinary school. So just going to Gramercy Tavern was a big excitement at that time. I was like, "Wow, this is going to be great. We're going to be doing all this stuff all the time." Uh, not as many field trips uh, going forward there, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was a fun thing. We yeah, we went, we did the homebrew, we you know got to I meet think, all the what staff. Did, what did you guys brew? I think we, I think there was a barley wine. Yeah, right? we did a, a barley wine. Absolutely, I, I think Garrett wanted something that would age uh, for a while. We we were just saying before the show that uh, we uh, it was like you know an all day process, and it was one of the cooler training things for our staff at that restaurant because we 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 sell or we i don't work there anymore but we we sold a lot of beer and and it's known as a, a kind of a beer uh, a restaurant with a great beer list and it was really eye-opening for the staff but the cool part was they came in and got to see the magic of the brewing process and and uh garrett was kind enough to sh- ship the beer back to the brewery we <laughs> bottled it in little pony bottles i think we got about maybe i don't know three or four cases great idea and i actually think there's still I, a lot of my friends still work there we were saying we have to go in for dinner maybe and see if there's any 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 left uh, now you know eight years later and, and it was a barley good. it's probably still kicking so. <laughs> yeah that might be a really nice barley one at this cool. point <laughs> so you hopefully see, they won't charge us for it so, wait, so Chris you got some chops then so you were a home brewer and you went from home brewing to working at Brooklyn Brewery yeah yeah pretty much um, how long did you work there I was at Brooklyn Brewery almost seven years I guess um, until uh, I left to uh, start Newburgh basically so what what are things that you, as a as a starting person working in a brewery what are some of the jobs that you had to do to learn your craft? Oh, I mean, I worked. Uh, I started part time at Brooklyn, um, and I was hauling bags of malt around, doing all the milling, uh, mashing out, so digging out all the spent grain from the, the louder ton, uh, doing all the kegging. You know, really just the the brute strength stuff. Years later, I found out I only got the job because I looked like I could lift more than the other guy. <laughs> I interviewed two people, and I guess I. Uh, so that day changed my life uh, only because I, I looked stronger than someone else. So it's because well, you got a full head of hair there. That's why. <laughs> yeah. So there's an illusion about brewing. It, it's not all romance and glamour. It's a lot of it's just heavy lifting and cleaning and stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a lot of hard work, um, a lot of repetition <laughs> of that sort of monotonous hard work. Uh, I mean, you got to, you know, it's, it's, I love every moment of it. You, you know, having a great product at the end that, you see other people enjoying and you can enjoy yourself is is the really the what draws people to it and the creativity of you know new beers and things like that but you know yeah the day-to-day stuff is it's a lot of physical you know demanding kind of hard work so what's yeah. it like when when you when you get back the kegs that are coming back from bars and distributors like what do you have to do is there a machine to clean them do you have to hose them out yeah i mean you hose down the outside uh just to oh the things you see on kegs coming back is just you know 
um, you know, seafood and and broken glass and you know some of these bars you guys oh, know you got you my know, keg back they keep them all kinds of places <laughs> yeah so they have all sorts of you know stuff on them and then uh, so you hose them off and then there's a cleaning machine uh, that you you know they're all different a little bit some are really automated some are one we have right now we're just starting out it's affordable it's very manual um, so you got to pay a lot of attention to it but um, you know cycle chemicals through it to clean rinse. And then, uh, you know, uh, pressurize with CO2, and it'll be ready to fill with uh, fresh beer. I actually have a question for you because I'm, I'm yeah. curious how you guys ended up with Phoenix, where, where, you know, for me, I've been doing this, well, selling craft beer for over 20 years, and Phoenix really has been, I don't, I don't want to cr- criticize them, but it's like they've been, like, behind everything for a while. But you guys... And for me, it was impressive that they got you because they needed a little bit of oomph. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's a big part of it. They really kind of courted us uh, heavily, um, and they see where the industry is going. They know they have to get into that Well, I think they've sector. seen it for a long time already, which is, which is incredible to me. That, But, you know, as a local New York – because a lot of New York breweries end up in Manhattan. I mean, they're pretty much Manhattan is the New York State, mm-hmm. you know, distributor. And in my eyes, but Phoenix has been like a sleeping dog and they've really just been sitting there and, and, and to just pick you guys. I, I was impressed with it. I really was because I think that it was good for you and it was good for well, them. You know, I, I think that probably everybody's starting to figure out that there's, you know, crap beer is, is business. But um, let's just move a little bit on from that. So you guys, I want to get the story <laughs> of these guys. Come on. We can talk about that. Later. I mean, yeah, for like five 15. years, you guys I were trying to, to talk open about a brewery. Phoenix. Get the Phoenix people. <laughs> so for five years, you tried to open a brewery. And uh, yep. tell us this stuff. Because this is a good story. Everybody wants to know about opening breweries. You worked in Brooklyn Brewery. You cleaned kegs and lifted mall Used bags. Used to drink at mugs. Yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah, so how did you how did you figure out that you're going to open a place in Newburgh? And, and how did that all come together? Uh, well, me and Paul both grew up in the Hudson Valley, up in uh, near Newburgh, about 15 minutes away in Washingtonville. Small little town. Um, so, yeah, once I got into better beer, I kind of always wanted to go back home. I think uh, maybe from the day I started, I always, you know, I think a lot of people, they want their own thing, you know. I loved working at Brooklyn. I loved everything about it. The people, Garrett was great. Everyone, you know, I learned so much. Uh, I didn't leave because I didn't love it. It's just, you know, the next step is really being in charge fully, especially of the creative process of the beers, you know. I was making, uh, basically making Garrett's beers, and I was proud of them, and I loved being a part of it. And we had input here and there. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was, you know, his beer. And so I think uh, just that want to uh, have my own beer and be the final say on the, the creative side was really the the real driving, you know, force behind it. And, uh, Chris, you're also here with Paul, uh, the president of Newburgh. Paul, um, tell us a little bit how you got involved with Chris and uh, why you opened a brewery. Sure. I mean, if you want to hear about brewing chops, I'm a CPA, and I left J.P. Morgan, so pretty serious. Trained under brewmaster Jamie. It's a good Jamie. combination. That's right. Tra- trained under brewmaster Jamie Diamond at J.P. Morgan. Uh, <laughs> but um, no, Chris and I have actually been best friends since we were 12. We went to middle school, high school, college together, actually. He followed me to, uh, to college. That's a true story. And I, I was... I started my career actually working with startup companies uh, in a totally different world in technology and biotech, but I loved the startup environment. I loved the energy, the passion, the enthusiasm of the secretary to the CEO because everyone knew when they came to work every day, every second of their day counted towards the success of that company. And I always knew that's what I wanted to do eventually. I had no idea it was going to be a brewery, 
But when Chris was in the throes of doing all the feasibility studies and writing the business plan and we had dinner just one random night, all of a sudden he said, I'm looking for somebody to you know do this with me and I think your skill set could help complement mine. Are you interested? And showed me the business plan. That weekend we went up and checked out the building and the next day I was like, yeah, I'm in. What year was this? Just... Uh, 2008. Three years years old. Yeah, I guess the uh, five. No, I mean we just had our one year anniversary of having beer. Um, Okay. I guess I I feel like the real birth of the company was when we bought our building, and that was uh, January of 2011. Yep. Okay. Um, We didn't start construction until October 2011 after we got all financing in place, Mm -hmm. and we were brewing by March of 2012. Beer got released in April 2012. Wow. Yep. You know, there's yeah. a new book out. I, I, I'm just starting to figure out really how breweries got started in, in, the, in the the era of American craft beer. It's called Audacity of Hops. I think it's coming. Or it just came out. It was launched at Brooklyn Brewery. It's uh, Tom Asatelli, and I was reading it the other day. And the early these early pioneers of craft beer, they were literally like getting a space and making their own equipment by hand. And um, I feel like it's it's come beyond that, but still, it's kind of the same thing, right? You guys have to start at the ground the ground up, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the days of uh, cobbling together old dairy equipment are, are over to some extent, unless you're talking like a nano brewery. Um, but we have a 20 barrel system, so that, you know our equipment's new and, and all that. Um, but definitely the you know hands on day to day, everything is you know just like any small business. You have to be there constantly. It's 24 hours a day. You don't get to you know take time off really. Um, there's always something to do. Uh, something we did, I mean, we built our tables for our tap room ourselves. We, you know, we, we do a lot of, uh, things that maybe your normal, uh, big company, you know, owners and things don't yeah. necessarily do. And I think that's a great point though, because I think from the outside looking in, when you're looking on the beer industry and even maybe specifically our brewery, a consumer goes into Mug's Ale House or they go into Jimmy's 43 and they go, oh my gosh, Newberg's on tap in this place. They must be some huge, massive company. And at the end of the day, we're just three guys busting our butts seven days a week, uh, just like any small startup business. It just so happens that we make beer and uh, get into some awesome places down in the five boroughs. But- yeah, so I think beer as, a, as an industry is just very visible. Yeah. And so uh, and it, you get a lot of attention. So I think it makes people... Oh, you know, you just have to open and you're so instant, I think you're it's instant, the opposite. I think it actually success. is two or three guys. Because we're friends with, like, Barry. It was one guy, then two yeah. guys, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, you guys are insiders, I think. Yeah, uh, we, yeah, I think that if it was more than three guys, I wouldn't even want to buy your beer. Yeah. So. <laughs> and, These days, I don't even know how to approach it. I'm telling you. it's I'm totally confused because you've got the nanos, you've got guys like this, and then you've got the big guys coming knocking on your door. So who do you give? I, I'm like, I, if I, I like can meet the guys care. making the beer... I'm like more these likely, guys, more likely to buy the beer than if they're just selling beer. But hold on a second, we're going to take a short break because we've got a lot, a big show ahead of us. We'll be back in a few minutes here on Beer Sessions Radio. This one's called "Quitting Time" by Pamela Royal on the Heritage Radio Network. Org. So you like good beer. Whether you're a craft beer pro or just had your first sip of an IPA, GreatBrewers.com is your number one beer resource on the internet. GreatBrewers.com bridges the gap between the world's great brewers and the consumers who enjoy their products. With so much information and misinformation out there, GreatBrewers.com focuses on education and leaves no stone unturned. Take the great beer test on their website and browse through an extensive product catalog. 
download their mobile beer cloud app, which includes a GPS beer finder, a beer sommelier, and descriptions for over 5,000 different brews. What are you waiting for? Back up that passion for craft beer with some solid information and education. Visit greatbrewers.com today. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We've got a great lineup here. We've got Ed from Muggs Ale House. We've got Paul and Chris from Newburgh Brewing. And uh, Gary. Kevin. Kevin Gary. I keep, it's like, what do you, you Irish guys do that to me. It's like Gary Kevin or Kevin Gary. My father wanted my middle name to be Edward, so my initials yes. would be Keg. That's a true story. From the, the, all these crazy restaurants like Artuzzi and what are the other ones? Artuzzi, Delanima, Anfora, and La Picho. All right. So, um, Chris Russo, tell us the first beer we had from Newburgh because it was really good. Uh, the first beer we went through was our uh, cream ale. So, uh, I think we're being, being from upstate New York, uh, Hudson Valley, everyone grows up knowing cream ale, you know, Jenny Cream, things Jenny like that. It's a, it's a real sort of northeast uh, thing. So, uh, I always wanted to make my kind of version of a cream ale. So, a real easy drinking beer. Uh, instead of rice and corn to lighten it up, we use uh, flaked oats, flaked barley, some wheat. And um, yeah, little little hot bitterness. I have to say, I'm nice not a cream ale fan, but that's probably one of it's the pretty most good cream ales I've yeah. ever had. So. Yeah, just you know, easy drinking beer. Our other friends up at Crossroads in Athens, they also make a cream ale too. Yes, Dutch makes really bed. nice yep. cream ale. Yeah, yep. And then this next beer was like it's like coffee and yeah. sour. This, this is our, wow. <laughs> it's it's crazy nose uh, to it. Wait, yeah. Th- what color is this beer? This is crazy. I can't tell. It's like uh, <laughs> light amber. Light amber. Yeah. I think it darkens in the morning. It's a little I think sour. For breakfast. It's this like is, co- it's like coffee ground. This is great. and sour ale, right? Yeah, it's um, we call it cafe sour. I uh, love this. Coffee acquired from Ethiopia is the cafe part. Uh, basically, I started. I wanted to make an e- uh, coffee beer. I love Ethiopian coffee, so I partnered with a uh, Plowshares Coffee in in Rockland County, just uh, south of us, and got some really great Yirgacheff coffee. Um, but I wanted to make a beer that wasn't a stout, a porter. You know, those are the normal sort of things you think of when you think coffee beer. I wanted to make a lighter beer. Um, so then with the Ethiopian thing, I went further into that, and uh, I used a staple Ethiopian grain called tef, uh, which they use in their flatbreads uh, called injera. And those are actually done with a sourdough. So that's where the – then I was like, oh, maybe I could do a sour mash with this uh, this grain that they normally make a sourdough with. So that's what I did. I got this teff, whole grain teff, uh, about 500 pounds in the batch. So it's uh, 30, 40% of the, the grain. Um, did a sour mash. So, you know, it soured for a couple days in the mash ton. Then did the rest of the brew in the kettle. I added gesho leaf, which is a bittering herb from Ethiopia that they use instead of hops. And then um, so you got a theme, brewed the beer. A theme with this beer, yeah, a little bit of an Ethiopian inspired like beer. And then uh, once the beer, was, once the base, that base beer was done, uh, cold brewed uh, Ethiopian coffee, the Yirgacheff coffee from Plowshares, got blended in right before filtration. So I could drink this beer before twelve noon. How much? I can't yeah, say I'm just drinking my coffee. My breakfast. Uh, never uh, never yeah. had anything like that before. It's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. I yeah, really. I, this is incredible. Let's raise our glassy, Chris. You're really Cheers. doing a nice job. I, I didn't even know that that you went back to working with Garrett Oliver Thanks. in Brooklyn, and, I, and I'm really impressed. Uh, a couple of times I got your, your beers at Jimmy's Number Forty Three. I, I really liked it. So. Thank um, you. I want to take a step back. We were talking before about you know you picking up these old kegs and there's stuff on them. It's funny because a lot of restaurants really aren't set up for uh, draft beer. And and one place I worked will not be named. The first <laughs> restaurant I worked in New York, 
the, the keg room was the walk-in. So there were some kegs in there. Mm-hmm. There was shrimp. There was lettuce. It was all piled on top. And in the back of my mind, I was never going to have a draft beer place. And luckily, the place I found had been built by this crazy guy that built Burp Castle. And it was like there's a whole room with winches and kegs alone. You're what, showing your age, Jimmy. <laughs> my age. But I want to ask Kevin because Kevin's working in places like Gramercy Tavern and Lartuzzi. So like, what are the, what are the keg systems set up like in just like restaurants? It really depends. I mean, it, it all depends on if you're building a restaurant from scratch, if you're buying an existing restaurant. Because when you're, when you're starting a new restaurant, you know, the budget is the budget. You know, and and the you know, the quality of the ovens and the stoves are, are generally more important because those are your you know and, and how big of a wine cellar you have because that's you know in our restaurants at least we sell you know a lot of a lot of good wine. It's you know as much as I'm a beer guy, it's nice to sell three hundred dollar Barolo as well. So you know uh, each of our restaurants is a little bit different. I usually assert my my authority as much as I can to cha- kind of champion beer. Uh, although the technology is helping, you know, uh, one of our restaurants that we took over that was a restaurant previously. Uh, the where we have the beer, uh, it's always kind of generally the last thing, is a converted freezer. So I was lucky enough to find a guy that was able to install a piece of equipment called a heat exchange that kind of renders the temperature of the box a little bit irrelevant because, you know, especially with craft beer, a couple degrees high and low, you're just pouring foam. And that's just, you know, as a, mm-hmm. as a business, business guy, and Jimmy, you can attest to this, every time I go to a bar and you see a bartender pull a pint of foam and then dump it, it's Eight bucks down the drain. Eight bucks down the drain. Eight bucks down the drain, and that's not good for anybody, right? Sometimes so. it's not the beer system, though. True, it, it, it's, a, it's a combination of a lot of factors, and, and and it's educating your staff and your bartenders and your managers about uh, uh, making sure that if you see that, address it and fix it, so that you can get good beer. And and uh, uh, we're but, not doing Chris any had, good by we've pouring had show bad up that, that foam up no matter what we tried. yes, and, uh, and that happens. Do you ever see on the street where the where the guys are delivering beer and they they literally like pull the pull the keg off the truck and it I've drops ten feet bouncing? I've seen them roll down Bedford Avenue. I hope that's not my keg. Because <laughs> no, at no. Jimmy's number forty three, we have a red carpet for the keg delivery. There you <laughs> go. But for you, <laughs> Ed, okay. So so uh, maybe not the restaurants that we know actually put like shrimp and, le- and lettuce on top of their their kegs in that room. But what about Mugs Ale House? You have a dedicated keg cooler? I've got two. Two? Yeah, well, we do. We've got 32 draft lines. So I started, when I originally started in 92, we had eight. And we escalated to 16 and kept going and, and increments. And then we felt 32 is the final number. <laughs> and now, you know, back then it was great. At one point, I think we had the most draft lines in New York and now it's the novelty's worn off so do you put anything else in that keg in that room besides no. kegs or no no See, I, I, but I do put kegs because I I'm a hoarder <laughs> when it's it comes okay. to beer and especially these days where there's so much competition you have to try to pick and choose and grab beers when they're available yeah I'll stick a couple in the meat cooler, but yep. they're in, never in the vegetable cooler. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean it, it's uh, every time I go to a bar, and I, you know, you go to bars that have uh, crazy draft lines, and I'm just like, can I go in the basement? Like I, I'm, I'm fascinated by how because uh, you're right. Like sometimes stuff's available, and you want to get it because you want to put it on tap, and where do you put it? You know, and yeah. in New York City, that's a dilemma that you have to address. It, it becomes tough. So Ed, when you do like the, the Split Thy Skull Festival and, and you're stockpiling certain kegs, I mean, do you have to put those in? I try to. I, I, I'm not the most organized, but I, I find spots for everything. And like I said, the the ones that are in the meat cooler are pretty much for Split Thy Skull or for the Belgium to Brooklyn Festival that we do, and, and we store those there. Um, 
lately my wife has made me clean up the basement and you know be nice so i don't have a, a huge backlog with you're talking about your house or your or your barn <laughs> both <laughs> <laughs> well cheers to ed from mugs Ellis, oh, man yeah. one of the pioneers in craft beer in new york yeah, all right and, and kevin gary's here oh, gary kevin from, he Either one's like fine. That. <laughs> and Chris and Paul. So go back to Newburgh. We're, we're up in the Hudson Valley. So as far up as uh, Athens, we, we, you got Hutch at uh, Crossroads. Crossroads. Yep, yeah, Crossroads. It, and, and the Peekskill. And Peekskill. Peekskill, Keegan Ailes, Captain Lawrence, uh, Defiant. Uh, Rushing Duck is a newer one in Chester. Uh, they open a little after us. Sloop is a Nanobury in Poughkeepsie. Um, those are all the guys we, real, we know real well. Um, and then there's so the Hudson Valley, it's others. it's a nice community because this summer we're actually doing some festivals up there. There's a a gentleman, Roger Myers from uh, Clearwater, the board of Clearwater, and uh, offshoot of the Clearwater Fest. We're doing some festivals. June 30th will be in Yonkers. Uh, July 20th will be in Kingston, oh, cool. and uh, it's August is supposed to be Newburgh, but I th- it's either Newburgh or Beacon, so they haven't really got that far. Okay, but uh, <laughs> we we were if we're up there, we're going to work with you guys. But cool. you know, there's a lot going on up there. So tell us some of the, the things. Uh, 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 Kevin, you said you knew some restaurants in Hudson Valley that you could recommend. Yeah, a couple of my good buddies uh, opened up a restaurant called uh, Restaurant North in Armonk, and they've been open, uh, don't quote me on this, but I think about two or three years. And they're just uh, you know loving everything about the local thing in the Hudson Valley from – uh, you know, they're truly doing farm to table. Uh, literally, the farmer pulls up to their back door and loads the truck, and, and they're partnering with, you know, as many local brewers as they can. And, you know, we say in New York City that, that we're, you know, everybody wants to be farm to table, right? Uh, not just with the food, but with the, you know, the wineries and the breweries. And, and it's the right thing to do, and I think we all really want to. But you really can do it in the Hudson Valley because that's where it's where it all grow, is. And that's where and there's some great <laughs> breweries. It, it's so nice to see that Chris and others are doing you know, I love Captain Lawrence uh, as well. Uh, great things up in the Hudson Valley because, you know, it's 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 great to talk about it, but it's really nice to to actually do it. Yeah, I mean, just for us in general at Newburgh, we have a taproom kitchen, and we do exactly that. Farmer delivers directly to us every week. Uh, I get half a pig in every week. We make sausage. We make um, bacon. Uh, pork rinds we do our own charcuterie stuff um you know we do everything uh from scratch and and as local as possible uh i think it'd be just disingenuous to to spout uh you know drink local drink local drink local and and have a cisco truck pulling up to the brewery um i don't think that's uh the right way to go about it so yeah farm to table is really important to us and uh i think our food is is pretty damn good Actually, <laughs> well, you went to culinary school, right? Yeah, you know, so it's that it's helps. nice to have that outlet again. Uh, I kind of had to get out of it for a while to work at Brooklyn. Uh, we obviously had a great um, food focus there in, in Brooklyn um, with Garrett and all, and so we did a lot of great food stuff. But um, having the kitchen has really been a lot of fun. And so, do you have um, any time to actually cook, or are you uh, just brewing? Uh, if the guys just need a vacation or something, I I work the line. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> You know, it goes back to that, you know, new business. Uh, I thought you only had three guys He's still young. Yeah, You're well, we get part-time track. people for the, the taproom kitchen. We have Friday, Saturday, Sunday we're open, so. Well, um, we're going to come up. I'm actually, I'm actually going to Newburgh tomorrow, which is so crazy. Oh, really? This Hudson Rising thing. I, there's a meeting at something, and I'm going to be in Newburgh tomorrow. Isn't that crazy? There you yeah, go. I know. Come visit it's, us. Is this coincidence or what? Yeah. <laughs> come on. So, Kevin, let's go back to you. Kevin, you're a... Uh, a restaurant guy long term. Tell us how you got started and, and where you're from. Uh, I'm from Albany, so I'm from upstate. So I, I have a, 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 you know, I'm. It's in my my interest to make sure that the Hudson Valley and upstate New York does well. My literally my entire family is is uh, still in upstate New York, and uh, you know my uncle owns three restaurants, two in Albany, one in Lake Placid. 
uh, grabbed me when I was 14 years old and said I needed a dishwasher. And <laughs> I was happy to do it. Uh, probably the best job I ever had. And uh, Dishwashing is an awesome job. Dishwashing that was my bar- first job, too, at 14. Dishwashing and bar backing, if I could support my family doing those, I would do it the rest of my life. Cheers <laughs> <laughs> to that. Yeah. Well, he just, it's like offensive linemen in football and you know, uh, bar backs and, I'm, and dishwashing. I'm short, so I'm going to say fullback. Uh, the people that make everything run that are uh, underappreciated and, and behind the scenes. I yeah. can't, and you don't have to I talk can't, to anybody. Yeah, I can't open up the restaurants every day if the dishwasher doesn't show up. No. So, no. Uh, it's, uh, and I, you know, all my life, uh, uh, worked uh, – Cooked uh, at my uncle's restaurants upstate. Um, you know, went to college in Boston at BC, and uh, you know, waited tables for beer money, and uh, uh, just uh, have always try to get away from the industry a little bit. Uh, you know, I have a degree in marketing, and and figured my mom wants me to wear a suit at some point, and was always trying to get away from it, and then it kept sucking me back in. Uh, when I moved to New York, I, I couldn't pay my rent one month because I, I spent all my money uh, drinking beer, and. Uh, Landed at Gramercy Tavern, and it turned into a career for me. Realized that you have to do what you uh, enjoy in life and hopefully what you're good at. And it was the place that solidified for me that the restaurant and hospitality industry can be a career and is a legitimate career. And I just fell in love with it, and, and I've had a blast ever since. And it's uh, it's what I'm doing. And it's uh, I've been lucky enough to meet some great people and, and – just uh, yeah, and many of us have had had that epiphany moment when we realized that it wasn't just you know for not too long ago restaurants were kind of like considered not a career, and uh, it, it's great to have, hear you say that. But so one thing you did, you were at Gramercy Tavern, and uh, you put together one of the first vintage beer lists uh, in the city. Yeah, we at, at one point I uh, uh, my the, the general manager and managing partner there, a gentleman by the name of Kevin Mahan, who's been my mentor and just a fantastic guy. Uh, you should have him on the podcast. Actually, he's a big big beer guy. Uh, you know, he kind of challenged me one time with let's let's do something different. You know, the the ethos of Gramercy was always uh, let's do whatever we're doing really well and let's let's be the the pioneers on the next thing. And uh, he had a couple of uh, vintage beers kind of kicking around the cellar, and we cracked them one day and they're really good. And and I was like, this is kind of interesting, aging beer. You know, something that that you know you usually hear born on date. Uh, I'm a big vintage guy, so yeah, like, I you mean, don't have to, you know, profess it to me. Yeah, right? and I'll yeah. tell you this: we're gonna we're gonna first uh, between you, uh, Ed, and also our buddy Sam Barbier at Waterfront Ant House. You guys have been in business a long time. You have some great uh, vintage seller selections. But first, let's take a short break. Again, we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Favorite Flower by Pamela Royal on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit Heritage Radio Network.org today.
Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, Roberta's in Brooklyn. We love it out here. It's more than pizza. We're going to chow after this. Ed, what are we going to eat tonight? We're going to have like a Moe's Fun Farm pork uh, collar <laughs> and uh, a few other things. Some ramps. I'm going to eat anything. People, you know, this is, this is Actually, one of my favorite restaurants. This. You know that? And I think that's the only reason I do the show. They get to come out here and hang out with you guys afterwards, Chris and Paul and Kevin and Ed. It's a great We're restaurant. We're going to sit down and have a really great dinner and finish drinking our beers. So, Chris, what, what was the next beer you just poured? Because we have like four more beers to drink, yeah. which we'll um, keep drinking. I just uh, poured you our Newberg Brown Ale. Um, so this is uh, another one of our year rounds, and it's more of a southern-style English brown ale. I think I like a lot of English style beers. Uh, maybe that comes from Brooklyn. I think Brooklyn has uh, influenced me in that way. But um, nice and and uh, dark, um, rich, uh, a lot of sort of toffee, toasted Roasty. grain, uh, without being that roasted you know quality. Getting a stout, I think it's towing the line there. Uh, but nice and drinkable, uh, 4.2 percent. Uh, we do a lot of sessionable beers at uh, in Newburgh. And so the cream ale is 4.2, the brown ale is 4.2. Uh, we do a lot of things that are 4 and even less. And so um, it's important to, to me. It's just beer I like to drink. I like, you know, flavor. And so there's no reason a, a 4, 4% beer can't be full flavored. And I think the brown ale is a really great example of, of that. So. Take care of us old guys. What do you yeah. think? What, what do you think of it, Ed? What does it remind I you I really of? like this. We just had this up at Muggs. And, uh, you know, it... it <laughs> In the environment now, we have to, like, rotate beers, which I used to hate doing when I – and I may even go back to doing what I used to do where I didn't really rotate as much because there's so many Well, you've got a very close – you've got, like, half your lines are, like, always changing. We the other half, you always have, like, Anchor Liberty for, like, 20 we've years. We've had Liberty, yeah. We're <laughs> probably one of the oldest Anchor Liberty accounts steady. I don't think we've taken it off from day one and, like, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, too, that just come to mind that – of course, in the Brooklyn beers uh, – but all of them have been with us you have for to 20 read years. Tom Acetelli's Audacity of Hops book. No. Talks about how they, <laughs> they came up with Cascade Hops and, and Anchor Liberty was the first beer to do it. But, Chris, so when you were at Brooklyn, tell us a couple of the favorite beers that you worked on. Because I love Brooklyn beer. Oh, the favorite beers over the years. Um, just the brown ale made me think about the Dark Matter, which was the, the Brooklyn brown ale aged in, in bourbon barrels. Uh, that was a really great beer. Um, and that was the original version of it. Uh, people really in the know around here. Um, there was an original version that was given out as gifts, basically. We just made, I think we had one or two barrels left over from the original bottling of Black Ops. And we put brown, we looked around the brewery and said, what else do we have? We're not going to leave these barrels empty. So we had brown ale in the tank and we, and we threw that in. And that was the original dark matter. We later did it as a, a brewmaster reserve. Uh, and it was a little bit stronger and a slightly different recipe, but the original one was one of my favorites. Uh, but the, the the Brewmaster Reserve version was also nice. Um, honestly, the local series is really great. Doing all that bottle conditioning stuff was really cool. Um, that's part of why I got my full time job too. So I love those beers. Uh, we were so, so busy you, that you they were, needed me full time. You were making those at the, the original Broken Brewery in Williamsburg before they expanded. Absolutely, yeah. All the local yeah. – uh, anything actually bottle condition is still coming out of Brooklyn. Um, uh, none of that's done anywhere else. Uh, Sriracha Ace, great beer when we did that. Still Fantastic still beer. around. Yeah. Now it's a – you know, and it's a year-round, and there's a reason for it. Uh, it was, you know, just a beer everyone loved. And uh, we actually did a, an unfiltered Hellas one time, 
Really? One of the few lagers we ever did <laughs> over the. Awesome. Uh, I remember that beer. Yep, what one of the one of the called? few lagers we ever did. It was called um, Keller Hellas, Newburgh or New, uh, Brooklyn Keller Hellas, <laughs> and uh, it was just a, a, a Keller beer um, lager, unfiltered, and it was just so fresh and good. And I think it really made me respect you know lagers a bit more. And it was one of my favorites. That's a, and Ed, you just did uh, Brooklyn just made a special beer for your anniversary, right? Yeah, I've been trying to convince him to give me a second. Batch what, what, was the name of the, what was the name of the beer? It's called Blood Bro- Blood Brothers. Uh, it was a red IPA that we came up with. Uh, I walked, talked to Garrett and Rob, the the gentleman that primarily was brewing it. I, I guess it would have been you a couple of years ago. Yeah. <laughs> but, this but, was last uh, year. Yeah, this yeah. Was, well October. It, it came out in October, but it uh, it was so it was a great beer. It came out exactly what I wanted it to be, and and we had. Everybody was coming in to drink it. I mean, we, we didn't think we were going to go through it as quickly. No, that was great. Let's talk about the vintage beer. So so Kevin and Gary, uh, he did a vintage beer list at Gramercy Tavern. But but you at Muggs Ale House and also uh, Sam Barbieri at Waterfront Ale House, you guys just have like, like storerooms of, of, of vintage beers. So what do you have in your cellar that we should try that Kevin and I should go drink later? I don't even know what I have in my cellar. I have to go down there. I think Bill Coleman would probably know more. I mean, we did a ta- – we were – I. I've been doing this since 92, and uh, as professionally since 92. Before that, I was doing it just uh, as a beer lover. That's when you played in the polka band. Exactly. Yeah. Polka uh, Played at Stout's Brewing, Co- <laughs> Stout's Brewing Company. We played their Oktoberfest years prior. So anyway, <laughs> that'll be another show. Um, but with Billy and Warren, uh, my two favorite beer geeks out there, we had a Casey Stengel and Jim Anderson from Philadelphia, we had a Casey Stengel beer tasting. And talk about vintage. We we had a Bass King's Ale that was 100 years old. And it was waxed and corked. And I actually blessed myself before I went to drink it. And I like, But I figured it was waxed and it had the cork in it and everything's going to be fine. It was. And the that was the oldest beer. And the youngest beer, I think, was the first Thomas Hardy's, which was 67 or something, right? 67, 8, when maybe. Did, when did you have this tasting, Ed, and where? We had it at Muggs years ago. I mean, when Jim was around. Jim is in, uh, running the Anderson out in Scotland now. But um, it was Billy and Warren. They just came to me with this idea. It was actually, I think, at the time, I don't think there was a beer periodical out there, or maybe Ale Street was, but... Um, I think Wine Spectator did a article. I think Will, Will Billy Loeb or Will Loeb Will was Loeb, yeah. Uh, yeah. he was he wrote a whole article on it and um, it was impressive. I mean, it was just crazy. I, I, I sat there and just looked at it. Like you're going deep. And so Kevin, well, you want to talk about vintage? That's vintage. Let's, let's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I want names and I want vintage. So Kevin, tell us a couple of your favorite favorite vintage beers you had from well, your list at Gramercy. Well, when we were first putting the list together at Gramercy, I didn't really know where to start. So we we had a good relationship with Garrett, and and he was really my my wingman in terms of getting me beer because you know I was even though I worked at you know Gramercy Tavern's a nice restaurant. Uh, who am I? So he was able to to really he was excited by it. So. Uh, you know, we were at, he. I, he was my broker. He called up brewer friends and said, "What do you got?" You know, Gramercy wants to do this list. And even from Garrett's, I think uh, uh, at the brewery, he was. I think he sold me a case of ninety-two Thomas Hardy's for like a hundred bucks. You know, and that was that was. I was like, "Yes, I'll." I'll well, the ba- back then they were distributing it. I think, right? But not. They? But they didn't have the back vintage stuff. So I think they had more like current release okay. stuff. Like, oh, I remember you know, the vintage list period. That was well after uh, the distribution because I was there. 
and they sold the distribution before I even started. Right. So yeah, so I mean, they, but, but we're talking about ninety two to ninety. Yeah, and stuff. Oh yeah, like there was all kinds of goodies hiding out in the warehouse. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, uh, Be United was the one that had a lot of stuff uh, that was you know was it was it wasn't selling. People weren't you know back back eight ten years ago. People weren't really uh, eager for old beer, and and at that time it was easy to. To get the stuff because it just wasn't there wasn't Sammy a market Klaus, for it. Sammy so Klaus was so that too. Tell, tell us a couple other uh, vintage beers that you've had over the years that you really like. Well, my to in the beginning interest. Well, in, in the beginning, what we used to do is we had you know the standards. I call them standards. Sammy Klaus, Big Sierra Nevada, Bigfoot. Uh, when Brooklyn Monster came out, we started vintaging that. Uh, Thomas Hardy's, of course, uh, Gales. Prize Old Ale, the Harvest Ales, um, a lot of the English style. Aventinus is great with a couple. Aventinus, yep. Steven, I think. Absolutely. I think at one year they did like they did their own vintaging of it yep. or whatever it was, and so there there were a lot out there, and and then like you said, people started started catching on a little bit, and, and the brewers started the brewers started vintaging them because it was more for the brewers to drink. It wasn't it wasn't commercially viable for a while, so they all had stuff, but you had to kind of have the connection and be like, "What do you got? I want to list it." Well, what'd you say? Born on date before? Like, what's yeah, that? Exactly. <laughs> we had another one we had that was great. We had uh, Dogfish Head Worldwide Stout 2000, right. which was I, I want to say it was like in the 20 percent ABV, and yeah. we had this one dude that used to play power forward for the Nets. He was like six nine, and he came in and drank the whole case in like three weeks. Wow, and I had, have, uh, it was unbelievable. He walked my, out sober. My first exposure to WWS was, I think, you know, somebody if, if came you, in. Sorry. Kevin, if, if you work out, you can drink more. That's the truth. So <laughs> I'm trying to work right. out. So wait, that's okay. I'm, I'm overwhelmed now. Wait, there's so many names, but you, you mentioned a few. The the, the George Gale. George yeah, Gales, 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 Gales. I love Gales. You know, Gales uh, Sierra Nevada. So there's 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 a starting point for people where if you're looking at at, at vintage beers, there's there's definitely some that have a track record because that's kind of important. Yeah. Because we got a lot of beers like one time uh, the the Brooklyn and Schneider uh, collaboration, the the, the Schneider Hopfenweiss. Yep. Uh, th- that the importer United happened to have uh, a backlog of kegs from the year before, and it was a mistake that they still had them, but it actually had softened beautifully. And, and comparing that to the new vintage, I actually preferred that after it sat for a year. So I do think a lot of beers I get, sometimes I'll get uh, in particular like holiday ales, which are usually stronger beers. I, I will hold them. And you see that there's a tradition now of people doing Christmas in July. But sometimes I'll, I'll hold a beer until the next November. What's the oldest beer in your cellar? Now they're all gone, but when I opened Jimmy's number forty three, the original owner who had founded Burp Castle Sorry, yeah. went nuts, and he had you know old crustacean barley wines and, and the last vintage of, of Sammy Klaus. And I think when we opened, we actually had in two thousand five a, a, a vintage list of over ten beers, and uh, we didn't know what we were doing, but we, they moved really fast. Well, it's interesting so, because it doesn't I still have, I just think. old doesn't mean better. It was inter- because like wine, you know, it's a direct correlation to that. The older it gets, the more. It evolves and theoretically better, but beer it kind of goes through like up and downs. Like there can be like black periods where it's like it's not drinking, you know, well, and then it comes back a little bit. It's really weird. Yeah, I mean, and then storage issues and of things course, like that, yeah. and you know, bottling issues too, and, and you know, it's, a lot it's of like things. Wine too. You go to certain wine stores, uh, an unnamed wine store that used to be over a subway, and and their their cellar was basically right above the subway heat. You were told to never buy anything that and the vibration, good. right? Yeah, but but Chris, last thing, Chris. Russo, you're, you're a brewer. You're doing a great job up in Newburgh. Would you ever make a vintage beer? And, and what type of beer would that be? I don't know that you go out making a vintage beer, but I think you make a beer that, that can be, you know, aged. And uh, we're actually just started a, a barrel program 
And back to the the Gales a little bit. I was saying how much I love it. Um, I'm trying to actually do more of a sort of British stock ale type uh, barrel aging things. Uh, so still with Britannomyces and some bugs, but uh, more in the British tradition. So I, I have a vatted porter type thing in the in the barrels already. Uh, I'm going to be doing a big barley wine. Um, you know, things like that. Uh, I think everyone's doing the Belgian stuff. Um, but I think, uh, it's incredible how Brett has actually come into the forefront. Like in the last year or two, it's like everybody's doing Brett now. I mean, locally Kelso did a Brett IPA that I fell in love with and we're pouring it presently also, but it's like, it's incredible how that actually is current and, and it took a while, but it's there. And because you mentioned it, sorry. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> Brett, Brett can be a beautiful primary fermentation as well. Then I'm sure that's what Kelso did with that beer. Um, and we're our Berliner, I call it a Berliner Weiss sort of thing, but it's probably going to have a large amount of rye in it instead of wheat. Um, but that's going to be primary fermented with Britannomyces. Um, I think that's going to be a real nice beer. And yeah, the Brett in the in the barrels is sort of. There was always bread in barrels, you know, when they were aging their beers for any length of time uh, before sanitation was what it was. And so, um, you know, I think uh, I'm going to make those beers purposefully, but then I think our Imperial Stout will age nicely. We've done a strong uh, Belgian beer. Um, we've done some other strong things, even though we love session beers in Newburgh. Um, I would never pigeonhole myself and say we're just a session beer brewery. Right. Uh, there's so many great styles, and yeah, I want to brew them all. Chris, so. get, get us one more beer before we, <laughs> before we close out, okay? So I'm going to announce some of the events coming up. Uh, first of all, it's American Craft Beer Week. A lot of people are, are talking about it, but we'll, we'll join in, too. It's uh, May 13th and 19th. Find out how and where to celebrate at craftbeer.com. But the real thing that's coming to New York is Savor, our friends from the Brewers Association. They're moving Savor to uh, New York this year, so... Um, come check it out and go to goodbrazil.com to find out more. We're actually bringing uh, Long Island Breweries to New York that week. We've got the opening of the Michael Jackson movie, Beer Hunter, uh, the movie. We're, we're hosting the premiere on June 11th at Anthology Film Archives in New York. You can go to Good Brazil to learn more about that. Steve Hindi from Broken Brewery is going to be there. Tom Acatelli from uh, the author of Audacity of Hops and uh, All About Beer with John Hall. So it's going to be a very cool uh, week in New York. A lot of I know Stag's Head's doing a really awesome kickoff. Going to be a lot of Sam, uh, our buddy Sam Merritt from Cicerone is going to be doing a Cicerone beer tasting on June thirteenth. A lot of things are going on, and you're just going to hear more about it soon. Uh, for Saver uh, coming to New York on June fourteenth and fifteenth. All right, um, what's the last beer that we have here? From Chris Russo. Uh, Basso, but that's okay. Chibi. Oh, man. Who's Chris Russo? Mad that, Dog. Wait, oh, that's the guy from sports on TV. Yeah, I, I hope I, you should have corrected I, I hope me. I don't sound guzzle like him. It, Jim. Jim, guzzle it right now. I don't know, Michael. No, no, no. What is it? I can say crazy things, but you're supposed to correct me. Yeah, guzzle it. I, Jimmy, it's guzzle not my it. Show. It's I didn't, Kevin, I didn't Gary, place, Gary, you know? Kevin, and uh, Ed from Mugs. I'm a huge Mad Dog and Francesa fan from back in the day, so I'm cool. Yeah, exactly. He grew up with that stuff. So this is a chili lime stout. It's got a little kick to it. Mm. It's uh, it's actually the small beer from our Imperial Stout as well. So it's only about 4%, our Imperial Stout being 11%. Um, took the second runnings, made this beer, infused it with Mexican chilies, like five different chilies, uh, dried black limes from uh, – they're a Middle Eastern thing. Uh, they brine and dry is that in the where you sun. Get the hair whole from? Is, is the Middle Eastern thing? Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but this is really great. It, it shows us how you can add flavor 
two uh, session yeah, beers. Flavored four Chris, you did great. I was teasing you about Chris Russo, but um, that's why when I talked to Garrett Oliver, I said, you, you, didn't you work with Chris Russo? And he said, who? <laughs> Chris Bassett. You guys, so Paul, everyone, we're going to go around and everyone uh, just say hello. Uh, Ed, thanks hello. so much. <laughs> Paul? Yeah, thank you. And really quick, if we could just throw in, we're going to be at Beercraft on Thursday night. We're doing a 15-line tap takeover, so we'll be there starting at 6 o'clock. And you mentioned Saver. We'll be participating in Saver, too. We were pouring our Honey Weizen and Brown. Congratulations, because there's, there's not too many New York breweries at Saver. I know uh, Blue Point from Long Island and uh, Brooklyn Brewery probably, and you guys, right? Yeah, Captain Moore. A couple others? Yeah, only a couple. So, it's yeah, it's nice to be a part of it. There's only you know, 60, 70 breweries. That's great. But thanks for having us. Yeah. We really had fun. Thanks, Chris and Kevin. Welcome yeah, to New thanks, York. Thanks so much. Well, come come have a beer at uh, Lertuzzi, La Picho, <laughs> Delanima, or Anfora. All four. So where are you? Are you at all four restaurants? I'm. Uh, I split. Split. I'm pulled in a lot of directions. Split between the office and all the restaurants. So, He's probably uh, not married. No, I am. Oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She works in the, she works in the restaurant business too. She gets ah, it. All right. Okay. So hey, I'd like to thank our sponsors at GreatBrews.com who've helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Beer Sessions Radio is supported by the Good Beer Seal. You can learn more about us on Facebook and Twitter. Twitter is at beer underscore sessions. If you like this podcast, give us a good review on iTunes too. Thanks to Chris Paul. Uh, Charlie's not here. There's Kevin and there's Ed. Thanks for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Jack Inslee, Brie O'Connor, and our engineer, Joe Galarraga. Hello to our new interns, Justin and Maggie. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.